Wow, it's great to see everyone this morning. The place is filling up. It's good to see everyone here and uh, just being able to rejoice and being able to sing some songs together. What a great thing that is. So we want to talk a little bit today about home church. I know it's not found in the Bible. So in case you're looking for that, um, it won't show up in a concordance. However, you hear people talk about that. This is my home church. This is the one where I go. This is the one that I'm there. Man, I'm seeing all kinds of new people here. (laughs) This is great. Uh, Lots of people are back today, so that's always a good thing. I don't know where you grew up, what it looked like. Perhaps it looked like this. Uh, Nice little building out in the country. Um, We tend to like the one where we grew up because that's where we felt the most comfortable. Some of you may not have grown up in church at all. Some of you may have started from the time you were very, very small. So I'll just share, this is the one where I grew up. Um, This is the church building and our house. So it's kind of one of those all-in-one things. Um, This is in Ketchikan, Alaska. So the bottom here is the church. It's kind of like a raised basement. There's another street that goes up on the other side, but this one seems to be, it looks like it's about to fall over now that I look at it. But, you know, this is back in the 50s, so everything was like this. We lived in this top part. There were three rooms, and our bedrooms were clear up here in this other part. So that was church. My dad was the preacher, um, and so we took care of everything, basically. And some of you may have grown up in a very small church, and you feel very comfortable in those. This is one of the ways looking down from the top where you would go into church. Now, this is an unusual picture. It didn't snow that much in Ketchikan, but uh, would you feel safe? Uh, Maybe, maybe not. You can see a couple of things about this. Here is the sign, Church of Christ. Big, attractive sign out there on the side of the building. Uh, That is me, I think, with my mom. You know, I don't really remember the incident, but anyway, that's the way it is. This is where I first began going to church. Here is the inside of the church. And so this is the building. This is the place where we worship. I especially remember those folding wooden chairs. There is no way to not get pinched every single time you fold one of those things. And so that happened all the time. Uh, Here is the pulpit. This is the communion table. I preached my first sermon at that pulpit uh, a few years back. Uh, Quite a few, in fact. We had to go in, and this is the oil stove that would heat the place. So Sunday morning, early before everybody gets there, we have to run down the stairs and light the oil stove so that it will actually be warm enough to be able to have the service there. So I don't know what yours looks like, but this is kind of the place where I grew up, the place where I started So small church, I understand that. 
That makes sense to me. Uh, For some people, they don't like a small church because they grew up in a big one. And so they're used to lots of people around, and they walk in, and there's nobody there. It seems like there's nobody there. You know why? Because there's nobody there. Uh, That's really why. But it's a few of you that gather together, and you worship so well, and you do so good, and all of that is really because of all the things that have gone on before. And what a great thing it is to be able to worship like that. I remember the place, but boy, not the details. You know, it's just one of those things where you remember some of the people, you remember the best experiences there. And so hopefully that's what you remember about church. That's kind of home, but boy, I've had a lot of home churches since then. And this is one. And I think that's what we do, is we go to a place and we build it into our home. And so that's very important for us to recognize and to realize. We usually go back to the first century, we look at Jerusalem, and so the passage that Calvin has read for us, this is the beginning of the church in Jerusalem. The day of Pentecost, Peter is preaching, you see his last line in his sermon, He's talked about Jesus, he's talked about who Jesus is, and about how he rose from the dead, and let Israel know that God made him Lord and Christ. The people are are so upset, they're cut to the heart, they ask what they need to do. This is about the fulfillment of the promise of Abraham, when he had made the promise that all nations would be blessed through his descendant, and now that is coming about through his descendant, Jesus. And this is a way for forgiveness to take place, because Jesus has been crucified. He's died on a cross, and it shows the level of evil that was in the world at that time, that they would take the very best man who has ever lived and put him to death. But God has a plan, and God is able to take those people, those sinners, just like he's able to take us as sinners today and forgive us. And Jesus was crucified, and he rose three days later. And Peter gets ready to preach the fulfillment of, and the promise of those events. And so we can see what he told them. How they can repent and be baptized. And how they can have their sins forgiven. How they can be given the Holy Spirit. How they are added to each other. How they are able to form a church. Although it isn't called that until later. It's what Jesus called it when he said, I want to build my... What did he use? for this group of people that it was going to be. It's my church. And so that's what happens then. Peter is opening the gate. He has the keys of the kingdom of heaven, you'll remember, that Jesus gave to him. And so he opens the gate or opens the door to this kingdom. And he says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Well, how are they supposed to do that? Well, they're supposed to do that by doing the very things he talked about with the repentance and with the baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit and then coming and being part of each other and learning from each other. It was their home church. It was the very first time it had happened. Nowhere else does it exist. It's new for them, just like it was new for us the very first time. 
And maybe you started when you were a small child, and maybe you started when you were a little bit older. But I'd venture to say you remember the first one. You remember what it was like. In Acts 2, we see what happened with them and exactly what they did. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Probably if you had to look for any scripture that is quoted more in the churches of Christ than John 3.16, it would be these two passages. Why is that? Because we look back to Jerusalem. We look back to the church and the practice of the first church and to what they did. And we look at how they did it and we look at some of the things that were important to them. And so it gives us an idea of what we can do today. It says they recognized things that were important. And so they did all of these things by devoting themselves to the four things that he mentions here. And so he talks about this as a way of being able to say this is how church develops. And so they first paid attention to the apostles' teaching, to the apostles' doctrine, to the things that they had to say. Because after all, this is brand new. I mean, they knew about the prophets. They knew about the Old Testament. They knew a Messiah was coming, but they didn't know how to put it together. And they may not have understood it was Jesus, and now they're able to put it together, and now they're able to learn some things that it was Jesus the breaking the bread, the the eating together, the fellowship, and the chance to talk with each other, the prayers that absolutely changed their lives and changed the world around them. And they recognize that this learning is important. It's the apostles' teaching. It's not everybody's teaching. This is not a bunch of small group house churches. It is a place where they would go and meet It is a place where they would be in homes, but they came to temple to be together. They came to the apostles' teaching, not just everybody teaching, but the apostles' teaching. And then they went out, having learned the apostles' teaching, and shared that with everybody else. And so you can see the process. There were miracles that were done by the apostles and how amazing that is. They gave to each other. And we look at this and think about how wonderful it is. Some people had come for Pentecost and they were the, they just stayed. And so they didn't really have a place to stay and they hadn't really brought enough funds and they were, they were in need. And so they took care of everyone. They went to temple every day to listen to what was going on. It became the center for these things. And so public worship and public learning became extremely important while the fellowship and the prayers and, and some of the breaking of bread was done on an individual level. 
And we are always impressed with the Jerusalem church and go, wow, how amazing that must have been. Part of it's because they begin with 3,000 people on the first day. How do you organize that? I mean, just trying to get everybody in the building. Oops, no building. Just trying to get everybody... I know they had the little plastic cups because how else would you do that? There's got to be a way to, to somehow organize communion even. Don't you wish you had a church like that? Well, we do. That's kind of the point. We do. We have all that they had. Do you realize the church was like that because that's what the people did? When they were so devoted to apostles' teaching, they learned. When they were devoted to each other, they loved. And what an incredible thing it is. They didn't have elders and deacons. This is a very immature church. Please don't hold it up as the gold standard for everything because it doesn't know what it's doing yet. They don't accept Gentiles yet. You realize none of us would be allowed in there? I mean, we wouldn't even be allowed to go to church. They, they are an immature church. They don't have elders and deacons. Now, they have apostles, but that's all going to come later. They are going to grow, but we have the beginning as this is what people did. And I think that's the key for us today. The kind of church you can have is what people are able to do. It's not that difficult. This is a really simple lesson. Uh, That's the easy way to look at it. Now, this is also the place where Ananias and Sapphira were there. They came and kind of left the uh, indication that, well, we're giving a lot of money while they kept part of it back for themselves. And they died in church. So it's not a perfect church by any means. The same as we're not either, but it's where we'd like to be because of all the good things that are there. So let me just encourage you to be the church that you would like to visit. When you get here, act like you're the person that you would like to meet in the church that you would like to visit. And when they talk about doing things, I want you to do the things that you would like to see done in the church that you would like to visit. And I think you're going to find you're already in the church that you would like to visit. And so that's an important thing for us. We are able to be where we belong because... We're going to do the things that are like where we belong. When you buy a house, you buy a house and you go and it looks great, doesn't it? Because they've got everything arranged, it's all decorated and everything else. And you go in and you look and say, man, this is a great house. And then when you actually have signed the papers and you walk back in and it's blank and empty And they took the curtains, they took the light bulbs, they took every stick of furniture that's in it. And you go, wait a second, I thought I bought this great house and it's it's empty, there's nothing here. Well, but you're going to fill it. 
And that's always the difficult part of buying a house. You look at it and say, well, my stuff's not going to look so good in here. Maybe I need a different house. Buy the one where your stuff looks good. That's what you want to be, but we recognize this is a natural process. We put in the work to collect the things that we want, and we can make our house exactly like we wanted it with our stuff. Yes, you can. I mean, if you don't like where you live, it's not that difficult to change. Just get the stuff that you like. Get rid of the stuff that you don't. We put in the work. We make it ours. We know how to do this. Why wouldn't we do that with church? But it seems like we want to go window shopping and go, well, that one looks good. This one looks good. You know what? The one that accepts you looks good. It is Christ's church. But we make it home. And it becomes our home. And so sometimes we want to look for a church where we belong before we ever did anything. That's backwards. The church where you belong is the place where you're able to do things. And so start by learning how to do some things, and you'll find yourself in the church where you belong. We fit because of the things we've been able to do, because we've been through some things. We've been through a pandemic. We've been through trying to stay home, trying to watch online. We've been through now trying to find a place to sit. That blue tape is driving everybody crazy, isn't it? I mean, having to get your own communion, how many times have I forgotten mine? It's a good thing Nancy's always watching out for me. So what do you look for in a church? Would anyone want to claim Corinth? Probably not. Church is a place where you find grace. It's a place where you find relationships and people that you love. It's a place where you serve and you're able to be involved. It's a place where you worship and you're able to reach beyond yourself to someone else. It's a place where there's a challenge and a call to action. We'll see if we meet it. It's a place where you study, where there's a call to learn something that you didn't know already. So let me share with you one more. We always want to look at Jerusalem, but I want to share with you the one that we find beginning in Antioch. Antioch of Pisidia, Acts 11, said, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church, and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. 
And so you can recognize the persecution that comes. It begins with Stephen being stoned. It continues as Paul is there and persecuting the church. They go out and they're able to be scattered, but they go with the message. And so they go out and they preach and they do all the things that they need to do to be able to begin churches in other places. It's a great message that they have from God. Jerusalem hears about Antioch. Well, they're not doing things right in Antioch. Because in Jerusalem, there's only Jews who had been converted, and now Hellenists, or Greeks, are being talked to also, and a great many of those are being converted as well, and uh, not sure we like Greeks, do we? Does anybody like Greeks? Boy, I'm not sure they can be in church, can they? And so you get one of the first tensions and conflicts, and they're not sure about this. And so they send Barnabas. Barnabas is a great man of encouragement. He is the encourager. And so he goes down, and he is able to look at what's going on in Antioch. And I'm always so glad that they sent the guy who's positive, because what he sees is the grace of God. What he sees is something great that is happening there. And he came and he saw the grace of God and he encourages them, I want you to remain faithful, and he takes off and he goes to look for Paul. Well, Paul had not done so well at Jerusalem, you may remember. He had gone from Damascus where he was converted, went to Jerusalem, and they didn't like him. They didn't want any part of him. After all, they knew he had persecuted Christians. They knew he was high up in Jewish religion. They knew that, well, we're not sure what we know, but we just know we don't like it. We don't like him, and we don't trust him. And it is really hard to do anything when you're not trusted. And so that's maybe one of the basic things you're looking for in church is do they trust you with it? Barnabas goes and he looks for Saul. Why? Well, he finds him and he brings him back. He says, come on, I got a place for us. Well, Barnabas could have gone back to Jerusalem, the nice safe church, the one that's big, the one where everything's going well. No. No. He says, I got a church for us. Come on, Saul. And he goes to the renegade church. It's kind of a little bit out there. Jerusalem was not a good place for Saul. He wasn't trusted there. But Antioch is a great place for Saul because he's able to do everything he can. He is able to be trusted. They had heard all the bad gossip in Jerusalem, and they were just a little suspicious. But Antioch, these guys are involved. These guys now have a place to work, and they're able to go and preach and teach, and they're reaching out to more and more people. It's not just about Jews. They're able to go to more people, and they found a place that would trust them when Jerusalem doesn't. And they get in with the people, and they do better. What an amazing place it is to be in Antioch. That's part of what it looks like. 
yeah, not, no, it's not so good right now, I guess. This is not the church building, but this is just part of the ruins of Antioch. This is what's left there. And so as they met with the church for a year, we find God working with them. It says, now there was in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work which, for which I have called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them. So Antioch had been a great place. It has some really impressive leaders in it. But you look at who it's got. It's got Barnabas from Jerusalem, the encourager. What a great thing, because he had seen grace of God and found them. Simon, called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene. I mean, these are all out-of-towners now. Wait a minute, they didn't grow up in the church. These are people from far away. These aren't people from there. Manaean, who's a friend of Herod. And Saul, who's a persecutor of the church. Now, how does that bunch all fit together? Very well. That's the answer. This is kind of the wild bunch church. Do you ever felt like being part of the wild bunch church? Maybe it's not so traditional. Maybe it's not exactly the way they've done things before. It's the place where missions get done. And Paul is able to go with Barnabas. God says to them, I need you guys to go out. You've been here long enough at Antioch. And they start in the new church. And they begin to plant new churches. Not Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem had rejected Paul. And we are ready to start something new. It's just beginning. Things are happening. And it's not Jerusalem. It's not the old traditions. It's a little bit different. So which one do you like? I see this is a constant tension that goes on. Do you like old churches that always do the same things? Do you like new churches that are a little bit different in some of their approach to things? They all are basically the same, but which one do you like? The good news is there is one of those for you. And the better news is we want you here. Doesn't matter which one of those you like, we want it here. And we can be whatever we want. We must agree that that's what we want. We must work at it to make that what we want. We must all speak the same language and have the same concept, but we are able to do that. And I think this is a very biblical thing. We can be whatever we want. Because none of it lasts. Antioch. It lasts as long as you are doing it. And when you stop doing it, it doesn't. That may be good news. That may be bad news to you. 
that none of it lasts. It should be good news. We didn't want to do it forever anyway. But while we're doing it, while it's here, while we are building it, it is incredible. I wish we could leave church to our kids, but we can't. We cannot leave the church to our kids. They will have to build their own. And they will build it on the faith that they have, that we have trained them to have, so that now the church begins anew and it's fresh and it's able to be alive and active, and we build on the faith that we had, they build on the faith that they had, and we can see the greatness of God and the grace of God as we watch church develop because God is still alive and active in his church. It is a living thing. And it works when we are in it and when we are working with it. It does not work when you try to find one that you want to just sit in. Uh, You're not going to like it. I can just tell you that already. The pews are not all that comfortable in any church. So that's just the way it works. Which one in the New Testament do you want to be part of? Do you want to be in Jerusalem, or do you want to be in Antioch, or Ephesus, or Thessalonica, or Corinth? Maybe we want to be in Corinth, right? Corinth is a church with special problems. It's a church of ruins now. No one got along. They argued all the time. They were always at each other. They liked one preacher over another, and everybody had their favorite preacher, Doesn't that work well in a church? Let's pick the first guy that we like, and then we'll all argue over everybody else. And some like Paul better, some like Apollos better, some like Peter better, and they all argued about it. That's a quick way to destroy a church is to have a favorite preacher. They had lawsuits, they had spiritual gift problems, they had communion problems. When you read through 1 Corinthians, I mean, it's just over and over and over. They didn't know what to do with the women or how to deal with all that. They just needed to quit making it about them. Because it was always about them. And what they wanted. And and they're always arguing for the things that they want. And the thing that finally worked by the time... Paul writes 2 Corinthians. It's a complete different church. It develops. It grows. It's something that's alive, and it will be whatever you make it because God allows that. God works with that. And we work with God to make it the things that God wants it to be. I'm not suggesting that we do it ourselves. I'm suggesting we tap into God, and God is the one who does it. And as we are able to be part of it, it is incredible what it does. The other ones that you read about in the New Testament is seven churches of Asia. It's a report of what they turned into. We may think churches don't develop, but every single one is alive. And it goes up and it goes down. And it does that based on what everybody wants. On what everybody does. And it's as simple as that. It is what we are up to. We can maintain it a little bit when it's in good shape. But 
sometimes we need to reinvent. And it does fluctuate, but it depends on what you make it. And by the time you get to Revelation and look at the seven churches and look at what Paul says to them, you look at Ephesus, which would be my pick. Paul spent three years there. What an incredible place. And you realize that, no, it's really got some issues. And Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea all have been great at one time, not so good. Now improve, now do this. And that's normal. Please don't think it's not. It's where every church is always. Because this is something that's alive. It's something that God is doing in the hearts and people around us. And so what do we do? I'm going to give you what that is. Number one, I'd say teach children. It makes it a younger church. It makes it a place where we need the children. Now, I don't teach children in order to get parents. The parents will come anyway. But teach children because they're important. It is their faith that makes all the difference. And you can watch throughout history and watch throughout the Bible as there were some things that are just incredible. A faithless generation out of Egypt now comes with children of faith and conquers a promised land. Wow. You can start from a dead church. And if you teach the children, you are able to turn it around. Number two, make sure worship is something incredible. Make sure worship is something important because it needs to reach God. Make sure it's pleasing to God. But more than that, it's a connection with each other. Worship deep. Not just getting the basic elements done and over with. And okay, he should be satisfied today. But that we have been through something. An expression of faith. Number three is reach outside of yourself. Don't just make it about us to where, well, we've got enough money for us to keep the air on and to keep things going here. It's got to be about mission. It's got to be about reaching out and going other places and looking what else we can do. Because every time we start looking inside and looking at us and do we have enough for us, we start picking at each other. And we can't do that. We've got to be able to reach out and look outside of us at all the other things that are going on. Because what a great thing it is to have a church like this. Even with all the problems, and some have more than others, they are all as good as we make it. And what an incredible time. It's as good as we're willing to work. It's a church that believes in new beginnings. It's things that make the difference. And we may remember when it was really good. I'd venture to say that's a time when you were involved, when you were paying attention, when you remember back to some of the great things that were going on. You remember how much you had to fight in order to get the things that are going. You remember what we were able to do. Yeah. Amazing, isn't it? 
as you watch how all of those things happen. And so encourage people. It all starts from the same beginning point. We start, like everybody else, with dealing with our sins. And that repentance and baptism and the Holy Spirit and joining and then the sense of awe and worship are all important as we learn to praise God and be amazed at what God's doing. Mesa's incredible. I really think so. I've seen some great things happen here. I've seen some really good things. And I'm excited about what's going to happen next. I mean, you know I'm going to retire in another 10 years. But uh, maybe sooner. (laughs) But I'm excited about you guys. I'm excited about what's happening. I'm excited at where this church is going to go and how great it's going to be. You've got to be looking forward to this. This is going to be fantastic. And no, I'm not going anywhere yet. So. But we need to be a place where we exercise our faith. And it won't be so much about the next preacher. It will be more the next preacher says, Wow, did I ever find a good church? Because they are already doing things. And they are already doing great things. So what a time to be able to praise God. What a time to live in as we look at something that is alive. And we get to enjoy what God does among us as we watch his grace. One of the best things we can do is praise. And so let's do that this morning. Let's begin to praise. If there's anything you need to do to be part of this, to be part of the growing, let's do that.